And welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses here on a Tuesday night. I'm Ryan Baffalucas, joined by Lucas Rohde, talking all things here college football. Lucas, an eventful weekend in the sport, which we'll get to a little later. We'll start with some coaching stuff. But first, uh, how have you been? How was your weekend? You were up in Green Bay for the uh, the Packer-Rams game. How was that? It was a ton of fun. Um, I'm still kind of feeling the after effects uh, of it. Stayed overnight in Green Bay. Uh, on Sunday night as well, and I drove from Green Bay with a short stop and walk shot all the way down to Nashville. So did about twelve hours of driving uh, yesterday. Um, but yeah, it was—I mean, it was fun. Uh, the weekend uh, or Thanksgiving weekend is always a great time to spend with family and friends. Ate a lot of food, had some adult beverages, um, but ready to uh, really to digest what was. A crazy week both on and off the field here in college football. Yeah, Thanksgiving weekend is always one of my favorites because we get a lot of good games on Friday. Obviously, mm-hmm. you have kind of, you know, rivalry weekend over the weekend. Um, and then, obviously, what usually happens on Sundays, we get a lot of coaching stuff. And this is probably the most insane coaching carousel. I know we seem to say that every year, but I think truly this year was a a, a land-shifting couple of days in college football. And that's where we'll start here. Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC, Florida hires Billy Napier. Um, Oklahoma still doesn't have a coach. We've got some long extensions at some other programs along the way. An insane, insane coaching carousel that I really think will change the sport for a long time. But Lucas, let's start with let's start with Brian Kelly. He's the most recent hire. You know, the the LSU coaching search was kind of much maligned. They were getting other coaches paid. No one was taking their job. And then all of a sudden, they pull the rabbit out of the hat and they get, I believe, the third winningest active coach, only behind Nick Saban and Mac Brown in Brian Kelly. So what were your what are your impressions of the hire and just kind of your overall thoughts of how everything went down with LSU? Well, I think it was just so shocking because when we were even talking about it, but not just us talking about, but all the national media, Brian Kelly's name never came up once. The only time I remember his name coming up in coaching searches since he's been at Notre Dame was if an NFL team was interested in potentially uh, having his services. I mean, the last time he signed his, uh, the last extension he signed at Notre Dame, he even put in quotes that I'm signing, I'm signing the steal because this is going to be my last coaching job. I'm well, going to retire. How about the fact that eight days ago he had the quote about, you know, like Mike Tomlin said, the only thing that's going to get me away if there's a fairy godmother, two hundred fifty million dollar offer, like eight days ago. Eight days ago. Well, he wasn't far off. He got a ninety five million dollar yeah, offer. Yeah. So, but I think just kind of looking at it, I I think in in his mind, this was probably. I think he felt he got. Notre Dame, the most the most that he could get out of that program, and I think that I think for him he looked at this. Hey, I'm going to get paid a ton of money. I'm 60 years old. This might be my next best shot because he's seen up front. He's been in the playoffs. He's seen what it takes to beat Bama, what it takes to beat Clemson, and he probably just knew that he wasn't going to get that with Notre Dame, and he took his shot. He did an 11-minute meeting with his team today, and now he's in uh, Baton Rouge. I think for me, um, this is for Brian Kelly about checking off the last box, which is winning a national title. Now, mm-hmm. you might say, Ryan, like 
this team is in the playoff. They're ranked, I believe, sixth in the latest college football playoff rankings. They're one or two upsets away, and maybe even only one, um, yeah. from making the college football playoff. Why would he leave? Well, we've seen Notre Dame make the playoff a couple times and get smoked by Alabama, get mm-hmm. smoked by Clemson. So they are not at that level of where Ohio State is, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia. They're not in that upper tier. And I think for Brian Kelly, I think, as you said, he's 60 years old. I don't know if he lasts 10 years there, but maybe he lasts five or six. And I think this is his last run to go try to get a national championship. Um, And I think there's just, there's a difference in the caliber of player you can get at LSU. And like you said, I think there's a ceiling at Notre Dame with the current college landscape. There just is. And I was listening to a podcast um, about Notre Dame from that side of it. And they were talking about how like the facilities and, and everything around the program has just kind of been lacking. They, they're, they haven't put a ton of money into the football facilities and, and into new amenities, like all these other Southern schools are doing. And that's what happens. Like you, you, you lose your coach. And I, cause Notre Dame could match the money. I have no doubt that if Brian Kelly oh, went yeah. to them and said, Hey, I need nine and a half million a year. I think they would give it to him. But I think this was about the investment in the program and his ability to reach a ceiling, which is to to win a championship because he's won everywhere he's gone. Like he wanted yeah. to, I think what Grand Valley State was the Division two school he was at. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to Central Michigan, wins there, goes to Cincinnati, wins there, Notre Dame. I mean, he's the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame. There's not much left for him to accomplish besides to get that championship ring. Um, yeah. What do you think about the fit of, of Kelly? Because th- that's been one of the things that has been talked about is – Brian Kelly, Irish Catholic, born from you know, born in Boston, coach in the Midwest his entire career. The fit of him going to LSU and in Baton Rouge and in the SEC, like what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the old mantra is you want to hire a guy who is the complete opposite of your coach before, and he is the complete opposite of Coach O. Uh, coach O, you know, Bayou boy, uh, you know, also much more of a player's coach. Brian Kelly is much more of kind of an authoritarian when it comes to running his program. Feels very Saban-esque, the way his program's organized and just the way he develops staffs. But I think it's a good fit uh, because I think LSU is one of those jobs. I don't believe you need to be in the South to uh, have success at that job. I think if you're a good football coach and you're an avid recruiter, you're going to have success there. And, you know, we've seen it even with Coach O. I don't think Coach O schematically is this great coach, but you get the right staff in place. The players are going to be there at LSU. That um, you don't really have to recruit too hard there in the state of Louisiana, which will be a big benefit coming from Notre Dame. But I actually think it's a good fit. I'm interested to see who he brings on his staff. If he's able to get, you know, Marcus Freeman to come down from Notre Dame, or does he get a head coaching job somewhere else? Does he stay at Notre Dame? Um, but I'm interested to see how his staff goes. But I think it's going to be a good fit no matter what, because I think LSU is just one of those jobs you don't necessarily need to be a Louisiana guy to yeah. succeed there. And I was, I think I said this last year during the, the coaching cycle was just at the end of the day, you want good football coaches, right? I think at, at the end of the day, guys that can coach, because, you know, Ed Orgeron was probably the best fit that LSU could get. I mean, that is a Louisiana raging Cajun boy, right? That is coaching your team. It does not get more Louisiana than Ed Orgeron. And he, listen, he got a national championship, but he kind of failed at the end of the day because he's fired. Yeah. Um, I think as long as you win and LSU was set up for success, 
Um, you, no one will care what fit you are. No one will care what your accent is. No one, will, or they, they, I don't think they do. Um, there will be a lot of pressure and there will be a lot of pressure to recruit. And I, I think that's the one thing I kind of question of is Brian Kelly ready for the recruiting battles against Kirby smart, against Nick Saban, against Billy Napier. I mean, all the against Jimbo Fisher, who might sign the number one class in the country this year, like that is going to be different than, than like recruiting to Notre Dame. Like not that Notre Dame doesn't have rivals, but like Notre Dame is such a national brand. Like yeah. they get players from everywhere and really they've recruited really well. Now, a lot of that is Marcus Freeman. He's a really good recruiter. But as of the time that Brian Kelly left, Notre Dame had the number four class in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think they had 22 or 23 commits from like 17 or 18 states. Like it's yeah. incredibly national. Whereas LSU, you got a lot of talent in Louisiana. They're all going to want to come play for you. You can go to Georgia. You can go to, you know, Texas. You can go to Florida. So a lot more regionally there. I just wonder, is he ready to kind of get down and dirty and do the SEC recruiting? Because it's very cutthroat. Um, but as long as he can do that, I think, I think it's going to be a good spot. And especially for LSU, like where they were, like after and we'll get to Lincoln Riley here in a minute but like they were all in it seemed like for Lincoln Riley I mean I, I sent you a clip of an LSU like radio post game show and they were cheering when Oklahoma State won Bedlam because that meant they could get Lincoln Riley the next day little did they know he was going to USC but like they thought I truly think they thought they were getting Lincoln and to pivot that quickly and lock up Brian Kelly I think is a huge win for that program yeah I mean Brian Kelly was obviously not their first choice and yet probably you could argue was the best coaching move that they could have made um, even when no one expected it. But you mentioned too, with, with kind of going there with their first choice, Lincoln Riley, I think I would honestly think this was a bigger shock just because I mean, he had Oklahoma rolling kind of like Brian Kelly had at Notre Dame. That being said, this was a guy who was handpicked to be the successor there had only been there what five seasons yep and you know they were controlling everything in the big 12 except this year it's the first time they didn't win it under his watch but usc comes out of nowhere we talked about how none of us really could predict usc they always usually go somewhere outside the box but they didn't go outside the box they went outside about 100 different boxes i feel like by landing lincoln riley's one of the best coaches in the country I think this one is a bigger impact just because it creates such a more seismic shift out West. USC had to nail this higher. The Pac-12 and West Coast football needed USC to land this higher. What were your initial reactions when it first went down, Ron? Well, my initial reaction was laughing at LSU, right? Because Lincoln Riley comes out in the press conference and says, I'm not going to LSU. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. Because the USC job, not that it hadn't come up, I just hadn't really been following it. Like there hadn't been a lot of rumors or had there hadn't been a yeah. lot of movement on it. And with 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 that AD, like you just didn't know where they were going to go. They, they could hire Eric Bieniemy. They could hire Matt Rule. They could hi- like, there were so many different options they could go. And to just out of the blue get Lincoln Riley. I mean, I was like, I was taking a nap, Lucas, on Sunday. And I wake up and... One of our friends texted in our group chat, up, oh, Lincoln Riley, USC. I go, what? <laughs> now, now listen, yeah. the, some, of the, some of the reports that have come out basically said this had been in the works, at least Lincoln's exit, since Oklahoma announced the move to the SEC. They said that Lincoln did not want to coach in the SEC for a couple of reasons. And I think one of them was, you just made my job harder. Hey, mm-hmm. you, you didn't 
come to me and, and ask me my thoughts on us moving conferences. You just made my job two or three times harder and you're not going to pay me anymore or you're not going to kind of give me what I need to compete there. Right. Oklahoma in the Big 12 is at worst the second best job in the SEC. It's like seventh, sixth. Right. <laughs> so it was going to be a lot harder, even with an expanded playoff to get where they wanted to go. So you go to the you go to the best program in the in the Pac-12 USC, a program that if it's running, there's not a ton of competition. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Pac-12's struggles. Um, they're going to be another year where they don't get a team in the playoff, um, and your only real competition is Oregon at this point. I mean, Stanford's been bad. Washington's just fired their coach. ASU was kind of underachieved this year. Utah's always going to be there, but you're better than Utah if you're humming. And so um, it's a move that makes a lot of sense for Lincoln Riley. I think for USC, it's, it's, a, it's a coup. I mean, it's a really, really good hire for USC um, to get one of the best coaches in the country and to get an offense. I mean, think of how many great quarterbacks are from Southern California. Bryce Young, DJ Ungalale, um, you know, Spencer Rattler was from Arizona. Uh, think of how many great players West have been going and leaving the Pac-12 footprint, whether it's all the kids from Washington that Ohio State's getting, all the quarterbacks from SoCal that are going, uh, you know, going elsewhere. So I think it's I think you're right. It's a seismic move and it's a move that looks it looks great for the Pac-12. It looks great for USC. Um, it's not look great for Oklahoma. And we'll talk to, we'll talk about them here in a second as we get to maybe who could fill that spot. But. Just a, a huge, huge day for the Pac-12. And like, as an ASU fan, I hated that hire. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, like, because, you know, USC has been average the last three to four yeah. years. And you don't think they're going to be average for much longer. And it could be, I mean, one thing I'm interested to see, Lucas, is this is the first year where the immediate transfer rule is in place during this time, Right. Theoretically, Lincoln Riley could bring several players from Oklahoma, including mm -hmm. Caleb Williams, to USC. Now, I don't know if he will. I know they have Matt Fink there, and they really like him. But, I mean, literally, like, I saw that the the Fresno State quarterback, who had a really nice year, just announced he's in the transfer portal. People are linking him to the Washington job because, uh, uh, yeah, he, he just took that job. So it's going to be really interesting because not just maybe for USC, but for all these schools where – these players who are being left can leave with their coach. And I don't know what the schools can do about it. So I think this could happen fast, Lucas. I would not be surprised if USC is winning the South next year and competing with Oregon for the Pac-12 championship. Well, and you're just talking about like transferring, even recruits. Uh, Oklahoma actually had done a great job over the last few years recruiting Southern California. And I think I saw yesterday that they had five commits from Southern California already decommit in their 2023 class. And you assume it sounds like that, uh, that Lincoln Riley is going to be bringing a good chunk of his staff from Oklahoma. So those, those guys are, or those players are already going to have great connections there. But I, I think you make a great point about the transfer portal because I, I totally understand it, especially if you are Jake Hayner, you want to be playing in the same system you don't want to, you know, your junior, senior year, have to go into a new system with a new head coach, especially if you have your sights further on and playing in the NFL. All that could do potentially is just set you back if you're starting all over fresh with a new head coach. And for those head coaches, they want established players that know their system 
and can win them games right away. So I think this is really the first year we're seeing both, obviously, these big coaching moves, but obviously with the transfer portal now with no no sit-out year, um, I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more players taking advantage of it. Before we, uh, before we talk about some of the other jobs that have been filled because TCU, Washington, Florida, and Virginia Tech have all filled, I wanted to get your opinion on something about how this trend in college football, we're seeing kind of two contrasting things happen, right? We're seeing a shorter and shorter leash with coaches. Ed, Ed, Ed Orgeron fired after less than two years after winning a national championship. Dan Mullen fired a year after winning the SEC East. But we're also seeing this trend now of longer and longer contracts handed out, right? James Franklin, Mel Tucker, Jimbo, Brian Kelly, guessing Lincoln Riley got close to 10 years. To me, that spells, that has a recipe for disaster. Because you know that there's going to be a school two or three years into this contract that's going to say, holy shit, we owe this guy $65 million if we want to buy him out. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's, it's like these and I, I'm, I'm looking more like at like the Michigan states and the Penn states that had to really pay and, and commit to their coach to keep them. I mean, Mel, Mel Tucker's had one winning season as a head coach and he's making more money than Nick Saban or he's making close to it. You know, to me, that just is like there's something with college football and it's listen, I get it. It's all booster money. It's 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 with the TV money. These schools are flush with cash. But this is a trend that is going to only keep happening in college sports where these schools are going to really overpay to keep their coach with when other teams come poking around. And a lot of this and sometimes it's not going to work. I mean, especially in the SEC. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, what if in two years, Brian Kelly just is it's been bad. He's not recruiting well, like not a good culture fit, has some weird press conferences. And they're like, all right, we only owe this guy $74 million. Let's go round up the boosters. Like, I, I just feel like at some point, somebody's going to really be screwed here. Well, they're already talking, you know, in Auburn, they just hired Brian Harson this year. He's already firing his offensive coordinator. And there's talk about maybe buying out the rest of his contract when they just gave a 20 some million dollar buyout to Gus Malzahn last year. I mean, it's it's just crazy, and I think the point you bring up, too, with this is kind of out of control, I feel like you only reach a certain point when you have to start asking the question, okay, we're giving all of this money to all these coaches, but it's not actually going to the people who actually win these games, who play these games, into the players. These players are still not paid employees by the university, even though they're bringing in all these checks to pay these head coaches. So I think at some point we are going to have that breaking point where it's like, okay, we're giving these coaches now 10 to $15 million a year, yet our Heisman quarterback is only making money off of these endorsement deals and not getting a piece of the pie. To me, it's it's got to come to that at some point. Yeah. And I just, I just don't know when. Is it $15 million a year? Is it $20 million a year? Because the way we're going right now, I mean, next year we're probably going to have a – a coach making 12 to $13 million. Each yeah. Year. I mean, th- I mean, think about Kirby smart. If Georgia wins the national title this year, what is his next extension going to be? Or Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh, whose team might get in the playoffs. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, and, you know, one of the things I saw somebody, t- I think it was Stuart Mandel from the athletic tweeted out how, you know, in the NBA, we often care more about what happens off the court, right? Trades, drama, guy wants out, guys holding out, who's going to be, you know, who's, where's Kevin Durant going to go? Stuff like that. 
and the the regular season has taken a step back to that. And I just hope that we don't get there with college football, right? Yeah. I, I, I I hope because I'm just thinking about how we've been talking about this for the last 72 hours, this all these coaching moves. And meanwhile, we got a game number one versus number three happening on Saturday that no one's talking about. Yeah. You know, we it seems like Michigan's win over Ohio State was two years ago. Mm-hmm. It happened 70. It happened, you know, over like three days ago, you know, and it's like LSU has been open and, and USC has been open. And we continue to talk about coaching, coaching and facilities and, you know, who's going to go here. And, you know, if, if this guy goes here, then that guy goes there. And, and I think it's overshadowing some really good football. So I don't know. Like, that's just a thought I, I had where we're getting a little bit like the drama of who, what's job is better. Oh, is USC going to hire the coach first? Oh, Lincoln Riley turned down LSU. Like, whereas, Hey, like we got to remember, uh, LSU has been a 500 team the last two years yeah. and hasn't sniffed any relevancy since 2019. Granted, it wasn't that far away, but still, or like, Hey, like USC has been a above average program the last, basically since Pete Carroll left, mm-hmm. you know? No. And I get that. I mean, uh, kind of going again, like with Cincinnati, I feel like we're talking more about Luke Fickle and where he's going to go next than the fact that Cincinnati has the greatest chance in the world to be the first group of five team to make the college football playoff, which is an astonishing accomplishment in its own sort. But yet here we are, especially with the Notre Dame job opening, just wondering where's he going to go? Where's Marcus Freeman going to go? So I, I do agree with that point because at the end of the day, the only reason these coaching moves matter is what they do on the field. Yeah. And so that should remain the biggest storyline, especially since you know we're talking about Michigan. Jim Harbaugh is a great example of why you don't fire a good head coach after one bad season because these guys know how to coach and it was just it was just I don't want to feel good for Michigan cuz I hate Michigan, but I was happy for the idea that Hey, we don't have to fire a coach after three or four years just because they had one bad season. Yep, hundred percent. So you touched on it a little bit ago. Notre Dame is open, and Oklahoma is open. There was a lot of smoke with Brett Venables, the Clemson DC, taking over at Oklahoma. And for Notre Dame, it seems like it's Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, or maybe Matt Campbell getting the mix there. What are your thoughts on kind of those jobs, and and kind of where do you see them going? It's just crazy that these are kind of afterthoughts right now. Any other year, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, if those came open at the same time, we're going nuts just like we did about LSU and USC. Um, And also Florida, which them announcing Billy Napier just felt like a news dump after everything that just happened. But I mean, Notre Dame and Oklahoma to me are still premier jobs. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, is one of the most unique jobs in college football because you're not part of a conference with all the tradition that is there. And I think we've seen with Brian Kelly, if you get the right person in, not only can you be have success, but you can be nationally very, very relevant as well. Um, I know there is a lot of some trade-offs with Notre Dame. They do still have re- stricter academic requirements for a lot of their athletes. It's a big reason why. Notre Dame probably can't get a lot of the recruits that Alabama, Ohio State, LSU can get. But to me, it's still a premier job. You were mentioning it earlier. They have a fan base. It's everywhere. No matter where you go, you're going to have Notre Dame. That's unlike any other college, really, in the U.S. Um, and then with Oklahoma, I mean, it's still they're still in the Big 12. They're still the premier program right now in that conference. We don't know when they're going to the SEC, but even when they move there, 
Oklahoma with its history, uh, you know, they're, they're still very close to Texas. They, they've been able to recruit nationally. And right now that roster is still loaded. So that's a place, both of these programs, these aren't rebuilding jobs, kind of like USC and like LSU. These are jobs. If you're Brent Venables, you've been waiting for an opportunity. I don't know if there's a better one than Oklahoma. And the same, if you're Luke Fickle, if you're looking to jump to a power five program or, or a Matt Campbell, you know, Notre Dame right now, I mean, we're talking about their head coach leaving. They still have a chance to make the college football playoff this year without a head coach. So I think both jobs are amazing. I think they're, uh, and they're in a great spot right now for a, a coach just to basically go and just get the keys and have success. Yeah. I think that for Notre Dame and for Luke Fickle and for Cincinnati, like this is the worst timing you could have. Like if Brian Kelly left after next year or after 23, I do think Marcus Freeman probably is promoted and gets that job. He's very, very well regarded. He's a very good recruiter. He's a very good defensive mind. I just wonder if one year of power five or, you know, we call Notre Dame power five, but whatever, like that level of coordinator, if one year of that makes you ready to take on one of the most unique and biggest jobs in the sport, which is what Notre Dame is, like you said. And for Luke Fickle, like, this is a job everyone, like when the reports, reports have already said Luke Fickle's interested. Like there have already been reports that have said this is one of the few jobs that Luke Fickle would take. Ironically, when I was doing my, when I was looking up like LSU stuff over the last couple of weeks, it was like, well, Luke Fickle would be a target, but he doesn't want to leave the Midwest. He'd only leave if Ohio State, Michigan, or Notre Dame came open. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, LSU hires the Notre Dame coach. But Luke Fickle has a team that is a win away, I think, from making the college football playoff. Yeah. And also is probably is, is going to be in a in the Big Twelve in the next couple of years. So that's fascinating. I I I just don't know if they're ready to promote Marcus Freeman. I just I wonder if they do go after Fickle or maybe if Fickle makes the playoff and says, Hey guys, I'm not gonna leave my team in the playoff. Yeah. They go after Matt Campbell. I mean, may, like maybe Matt Campbell's the ultimate kind of fallback option. It'll be it'll be really interesting. And then I think for Oklahoma, like not that I think Oklahoma is going to fall back into like obscurity, but I just wonder if Oklahoma goes the route that Nebraska is having in the big 10, where you were a big fish in a small pond for a while. You were beaten up on the likes of Kansas and Kansas state and Texas tech and Baylor. And I mean, the second like Texas, the premier job in that league has been down for the last, like basically decade. decade yeah. And not that Lincoln Riley isn't a good coach and I don't doubt his success, but like Lincoln Riley was given the keys to a Ferrari and just drove it really well. Right. And had Texas down the majority of his tenure. So I just wonder Oklahoma moving into a kind of a big, uh, a big pond in the SEC. I don't know. Are, are they a team that's going to consistently win 10, 11 games in the SEC? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Norman, Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma still has that buzz. But I think a lot of their success was the fact they had Bob Stoops, a legendary coach. And then they went mm-hmm. to Lincoln Riley, who was one of the best offensive minds in college football. So I have no doubt that Brent Venables will bring structure and order and a, a good defense, and it'll be interesting to see who he hires for his offensive coordinator if he does get the job. Um, but, you know, if you're Oklahoma, are you regret moving to the SEC? I mean, I, I get it. The money's there, but the money's there and you're losing your, you know, exceptionally well-regarded coach because he didn't want to coach in the SEC and he didn't feel like he had a say in the matter. Is it really worth it? I mean, is it? it's like – 
you're 11 and one, you're going to the college football playoff. You're going to New Year's six bowls. Would you rather be that in the big 12 or be eight and four in the sec or yeah. worse? Like what Nebraska is like Nebraska yeah. went three and nine this year. They haven't made a bowl in like five, five years. years. Yeah. So that's an interesting, I, I wish we could record that, that comparison and save it in like the archives. Yeah. Cause I, I think it's a good comparison. Um, and it would be sad to see a, a program like Oklahoma. I know that's a long time away, but um, it's definitely there. I, I did find it funny, though, that uh, Oklahoma's AD basically said they wish they would have liked a little bit of more notice. <laughs> Everyone's like, did someone someone uh, snip that and send it to Bob Bullsby? <laughs> they would have liked a little bit more notice that they were leaving. But um, but no, I and I think I texted you. I said, I think that move to the SEC, I don't think Lincoln Riley leaves if they're staying in the Big 12. Because I, I feel like he sees USC similarly to how Oklahoma right now is in the Big 12, where he can be the big fish in a small pond over in the Pac-12 for a long, long time if they build it there, where he lost that with Oklahoma. When they yeah, I mean, they're just, they're, not to say the Big 12 isn't good. I mean, Baylor's had some really good time with Arp Riles and then with Matt Rule and really good year this year. And OK State's been a consistent, like, top 20-ish program, but for the most part, like you're not having game. I mean, when you go to the SEC, I don't know what the schedule will be like, but I mean, you yeah. could go LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas. It's like, all right, like good luck. And, and you know, the funny thing is you're gonna have all these coaches making eight, nine, $10 million a year. And someone's got to finish last. Yeah. Right. I mean, someone's got it. Someone's going to pay their coach $6 million to finish last in, in the division and go four and eight. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens uh, quickly. Here are some of the other jobs. Um, Virginia tech goes to Brett Pry. Defensive coordinator at Penn State. TCU hires Sonny Dykes. Washington hires Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State. Um, quickly, Lucas, anything there stand out to you? Anything you want to touch on from some of the lesser quote-unquote hires? Yeah, I think I was surprised with Virginia Tech. Uh, Brent Pry was not really a name, especially because he was – I mean, he's done a great job as D coordinator at Penn State. Just thought that Virginia Tech was going to try to go with a more offensive move or a more offensive move. I was surprised. We really haven't heard Jamie Chadwell's name, Dave Clawson. Uh, a lot of those, you know, that we kind of expected would be up for some of these bigger jobs. Um, I do think the Kalen DeBoer hire is a nice one at Washington. I know he's only been at Fresno State just a couple of years, but did a nice job this year. They were one game away from playing the Mountain West Championship game. Previously, I think he coached at like Sioux Falls, uh, North Dakota. I yep. think it's a D2 or an NII school. They won a couple of national titles, um, but they'll be fun, especially if he's able to bring uh, Jake Hayner with them. Uh, that could be a really improved Washington and fun Washington team, unlike basically the complete opposite of what they were this year. Um, yeah, and then the Billy Napier one, like I said, felt like a real news dump. Like we just heard... <laughs> Uh, usually a uh, new head coach at Florida is a, a big deal, but with all the other news, it just kind of felt like, oh yeah, Billy Napier got hired. Um, but what did you think? Yeah, I, I think the Billy Napier thing, like we talk about coaches kind of being hired. They are opposite of their predecessor, right? So Billy Napier is known as a very strong recruiter, very detail oriented, maybe a little drier. He's got really good assistant coaching records under Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and under Todd Graham at Arizona state. <laughs> um, it's funny to see Billy Napier get this job because he was the, he was the OC when Herm was hired. And that was part of the deal was like, we're going to hire Herm and you're going to keep your OC and your DC. And they both end up taking different jobs, which was kind of interesting. Um, uh, 
I think Napier will do well there. I just, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, man. I mean, he's he's when you look at the credentials Dan Mullen had when he was hired, it blows Billy Napier out of the water. And yeah. Mullen had his issues, his quirks. He had he was not did not do himself any favors with the media and weird comments and showing up to press conferences and Darth Vader costumes, and weird stuff like that. But um, I think the I think the news dump comment is right is, is spot on. It's like that could be a great hire. But it just got lost in everything else. Yeah. And Virginia Tech, I just wondered if it was a kind of like how like people didn't want Herm fired because they thought ASU would struggle in this climate of hiring coaches this season. I wonder if that's what happened at Virginia Tech with all the best candidates who either signed extensions like Dave Clawson or just didn't want to come. Just hey, you know what? We'll wait for we'll wait for Auburn to open next year. We'll wait for Arkansas, like like whatever it is. A little, a little surprised Jamie Chadwell didn't get in the mix there. I'm guessing they didn't want Hugh Freeze or, you know, Marcus Freeman maybe was in the mix, and then he ends up saying, "Hey, maybe I can get the Notre Dame job or the yeah. Cincinnati job." So, kind of a, some tough luck there. Although uh, from what I was reading about Pry, he's a very good defensive mind, obviously, and he's a good recruiter in the Virginia area, which is mm-hmm. something that they that they wanted as well. Um, any other coaching stuff you want to tackle? Um, do we want to touch on Arizona state here real quick? Since it's, it's our alma mater, they make yeah, the decision yeah. to keep Herm Edwards. Um, I'll give my opinion seconds from an outsider. What, uh, what was your, what was your, your take on that? Um, I mean, for me, I think, and we had talked about this early in earlier podcasts, but I just think if the, the pool of jobs this year wasn't so deep and so big, I think you could have seen Arizona make a move. But I think with the uncertainty, with the NCAA sanctions coming down, do you really, I don't know how much interest there was in that job until those things are resolved. And the fact is, I mean, yes, ASU underperformed this year, but it wasn't like they went five and seven or four and eight. They went eight and four. I think that, I believe that's Herm's best regular season record since he's been at ASU. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it is. Yeah. Um, so yes, it was disappointing, especially in a year where, where Utah struggled right out of the gate. Obviously USC was down. I mean, this was right for the picking. I'm interested to see what the roster, I wonder if they were afraid that the uh, roster would have been decimated if you would have let go of Herm Edwards. Um, so I, I just thought, it, I think it was kind of a lose lose situation. I just don't know who they would have gotten. If you would have gotten your favorite candidate, had you let him go. But also, I don't know if your program's getting any better with him at the helm. Like, if is eight and four kind of the ceiling for for ASU with him as your head coach? Yeah, it, I think it was tough. Um, I think personally, I wanted to see them move on and and try someone new. Um, when you look at everything around the program, the lack of recruiting success this year—they have five commits. Yeah. Um, their classes in the nineties, they had a sub 50 class last year. Um, they got, are losing a ton of players off of this year's team. Um, the expected leading, you know, rusher chip train is, uh, in the transfer portal. There's reports that Jane Daniels could be leaving as well. So, you know, maybe they just kind of concede next year and, and maybe they go five and seven and then they let Herm go after that. They, maybe they want, they, they probably do want, the investigation to conclude and, and have that done hanging over their head. Um, and listen, you're right. Like this would have been a really tough time to hire a coach. 
I don't know. If, I, you probably don't get Kalen DeBar, right, at Arizona State. Like, I don't know who you get. So you're not going to get Billy Napier. He's not going to turn. He's not going to turn down Florida for you. So, yeah. um, I'll be interested to see if any other staff changes are made. If Antonio Pierce comes back, if Zach Hill, the OC, comes back, um, I expect one or both of them to be gone. But you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think for ASU fans, this was supposed to be the year. You know, everything kind of came together. You had. Jane Daniels in year three, you had a lot of firepower on the outside. You had good running backs and a really experienced defense. And they went one and four against teams with, that finished with a winning record. Um, yeah. You know, they beat two cupcakes in the, in the, in the non-conference, Southern Utah, UNLV. They beat U of A. They beat Oregon. They beat Stanford. Like, they kind of beat up on bad teams. And uh, their only really big win was at UCLA in September, which was a really good win. But they weren't able. And I think a lot of Sun Devil fans are frustrated because you see Lincoln Riley now and you're like, the window's gone, right? Like oh, the window yeah. to win the South and sneak into a Rose Bowl is probably gone at this point, um, at least next year and the year after. So we'll see what happens. I'm not going to be too, uh, you know, doom and gloom here. Um, <laughs> Lucas, let's spend a little bit of time recapping last week here. Rivalry weekend. Um, let's just start with the game. I mean, right? The big game. Ohio State, oh. Michigan finally gets over the hump 42 27 over Ohio state. Um, just generally for me, and then I'll swing it over to you. I thought they looked more physical. Mm-hmm. I thought they looked more hungry. Um, the crowd was awesome and it was a great, great win for Jim Harbaugh to finally get that Ohio state monkey off his back. Yeah. Uh, like you kind of said, Michigan pushed Ohio state around. It was very remis- reminiscent of when Oregon played Ohio state, they just ran the ball down their throats and it was funny. A lot of people were like tweeting, like Jim Harbaugh just took his inner Stanford and mm-hmm. how they won games. It was like, we're just going to keep running the damn ball until you stop it. And Ohio state did. And I think I believe in the second half they had, or it was, I think they had like four possessions and three of them, they scored touchdowns. And the other one, they had a kneel down to win. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of waiting the whole game for Ohio state to kind of wake up to get a stop to kind of score quickly like they like they did against Michigan State and it just just never happened. So like I, I gave a lot of kudos to Harbaugh how I think it was a, a good story how he took a pay cut you know to come back for this season um, and even the bonuses that he made for making the Big Ten title game and moving forward uh, him and his wife announced that they're actually going to give this uh, to people in the athletic department uh, to cover the pandemic losses that a lot of family and employees had felt which I think is is a cool thing. And we'll see if uh, Michigan can put a big emotional game behind them and take on Iowa. Um, I think this is a Big Ten title game that nobody expected to happen. So <laughs> uh, especially with the way Ohio State lost and the way Wisconsin played. But no, overall, I thought it was a cool scene with the snow. It felt like a Big Ten game. Uh, it was smash mouth. It was a ton of fun to watch. So Good for Michigan. They finally got over, and we'll see if they can uh, keep going moving forward. Um, otherwise, I was going to say uh, another big game this week, too, in the, the other big rivalry game, Iron Bowl. Auburn and Alabama goes to four overtimes. This is a game – Alabama should have lost this. Yes. This, like, they're down like, – Multiple it? times, uh, Auburn yeah. should have won this game. Yes. And – Alabama goes, what, 95 yards in the last minute and a half to tie it. And uh, you're just sick to your set. You're an Auburn fan. You had a chance to end Alabama's hopes. America was rooting for Auburn on Saturday. 
unless you lived in Tuscaloosa, you were rooting for Auburn in that game. And it was just frustrating because there's still now this this big hope that Alabama could go in, they could beat Georgia, and then we got two SEC teams in once again. But what were your thoughts on well, that game? I have, I have some thoughts, Lucas. As you, Lucas can see me. I'm like chomping at the bit to, to get in the microphone. <laughs> Brian Harson, that was coaching malpractice, right? Yeah. Tank Bigsby like runs the break. Like, inexplicably runs out of bounds on, I think, second down or, or first down and, and cost you 40 seconds. That ended up basically being the game. Yeah. Yep. But third and one, you're in the shotgun. You run a run. You run a ball. You run a play right up the middle in shotgun on third and one. You get stuffed. You pin Alabama deep. But to me, when you tied the game up after the first overtime, you needed to go for two. With the way that the overtime rules are set up, you're going to have to go for two anyway the next overtime. And then after that, it's just two-point conversions. You're a 6-5 and five team playing a 10-1 and one team at home. Like, you are 20-something point underdogs. Go for the win. Yeah. TJ Finley was clearly banged up. The defense was, was on its last leg. Like, the defense, God bless them, did all it could, held Alabama to 10 points in regulation. Why do you not go for two there? Why do you kick the extra point and go to second overtime? And you end up, like... I just some coaches play not to lose, and I felt that's like what Auburn did. They played not to lose, and they ended up losing. And you can't, you can't do that when you're playing Alabama, man. They actually, and I, I don't know if you saw the their first overtime two point convert, or the second overtime when they had to do a two point conversion. They ran a great play. They, mm-hmm. they, they ran like a toss back to like the tight end. It was pretty open, and he walked in the end zone. Like you could have done that, and you probably wouldn't hit it and won the game. So, yeah. I mean. Like like you said, we'll we'll get to the playoff rankings here in a minute, but you know Auburn had a, Auburn had a chance to really blow this thing open because I don't know what like how about this Auburn beats Alabama if Notre Dame is ranked four does Brian Kelly leave yeah right like because right now Oklahoma State's five and and, and uh, Notre Dame six but like I almost think Notre Dame got pushed down because of Brian Kelly leaving so I I just wonder like if Alabama loses, they fall to five or six. Does Notre Dame go to four? And if they're in four with no games left, like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of weird things, but I'm glad we touched on that because that was infuriating to how, watch. How much, I mean, when we when the Brian Harson hire had happened last year, me and you both praised that hire a yeah. ton. And now just look at the end of the season. I mean, we don't know what his vaccination status and that whole fiasco might be, but, oh, man, I, it's going to be hard. If he coaches like that next year, they're going to have another, like a third coach they're going to be paying by. Well, think of, how they, think of how they ended the season, right? They were up 28-3 to against Mississippi yeah. State at home, and they lose. They get blown out the last, like, however, like second half plus of that game. Then they go on the road to South Carolina, and they lose. They blow – blown double-digit leads in two games, and then they blow another double-digit lead to Alabama. Yeah. Like, Auburn conceivably could have been 8-4 and four or 9-3, and three, mm-hmm. and they're 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. And and listen, you're right. Like, I like that hire. It was, it was outside of the box. It was a proven head coach, a guy that had some experience. Like, I liked what Alan Green did, the Auburn athletic director, but it has not been good, man. And when you don't answer about your vaccination status and you say it's my business, like, that just leads to more questions and – we don't like that. Um, so Oklahoma State finally beats Oklahoma. Um, our fighting Dave Clausens get a big win against Boston College to punch their ticket to yes. the ACC championship game. 
Pitt beat Syracuse. LSU gets a big win for Ed Orgeron. <laughs> Somebody, I was, I was watching, uh, I was watching something on LSU, and they were like, "How about the fact that Ed Orgeron was fired? LSU finished six and six, and beat Texas A and M, beat yep. Florida, and came a touchdown away from beating Alabama. <laughs> like they were, um, they were close to being pretty good, and they still fired their coach. So good luck <laughs> to Brian Kelly, uh, Lucas. Anything else from this past weekend? Do you want to touch on before we get to our championship week preview here? Yeah, uh, congrats to Oklahoma State for beating Oklahoma for the third time in the last seventeen years. Um, but no, really good for them. Uh, you wonder if if Oklahoma loses that game or if wins that game, if uh, Lincoln Riley's still the head coach there. Uh, but should be a fun uh, Big 12 matchup there. Uh, Michigan State gets a nice win to finish the season over Penn State. I don't know if you watched this one. It was a snowball. Like I caught a little bit of it before I had to go into work. It was a legit snowball. Like yes, in in the in Michigan and Ohio State, it wasn't like too snowy. That was a legit snowball. And Michigan State was running, I think, white helmets. It was it was awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, it was hard to tell. Uh, you can barely there. see the Penn State players on the field. <laughs> Blended in. It was like a green screen. They just blended in. Uh, oh, shout out uh, to uh, the fighting Kent State Flashes advancing in what was a Mac East uh, division playoff game, basically, against Miami of Ohio. They win it 48 to 47 in overtime. So they will actually be taking on Northern Illinois in the Mac title game. Uh, let me see. Where else was there any newsworthy games oh sad day uh for the meep meep gang uh utsa got absolutely housed by north texas good for USA in two different parlays lucas just money line <laughs> thinking to myself they're 11 and 0 they're playing a 5 and 6 team that does not want to be there no they're trying to finish off a perfect season. And I look up and it's 31 13 in the second quarter. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? I thought or, it was a typo when I saw uh, it on like the bottom line on Fox on Saturday. I'm like, no way. Like, we were talking, I remember a lot of people were talking about Seth Luttrell, the head coach at North Texas, if he was even going to be, if he was going to be fired if they lose that game. And yeah, it was just an ass kicking after UTSA has basically kicked everybody's ass in Conference USA. Luckily, they still get to play, I believe, for the conference championship game next week. Also, shout out to Nebraska for finishing a historic season. Nine losses, all by one possession. <laughs> Just I had Iowa minus one and a half, and they were losing the whole game. I was like, oh, this is done. And in typical Nebraska fashion, I look up, and Iowa wins the game by seven. And you're like, this is just not. 21 to six. Nebraska was playing with their backup quarterback. And oh, they have the they have a blocked punt that yep. gets returned for a touchdown, and then a safety on their next possession, and it's just like you, you f- I like they should go nine and three next year because they can't find any more ways to lose games, really, like that are just heartbreaking. My heart goes out to Nebraska fans because I don't know how you get over this year. But now let me ask you this, not to bring up any sore subjects here, but if Iowa had lost, would Nebraska, would Wisconsin have already clinched the Big Ten West? Because I, I know that Minnesota would have been out. Yeah, Minnesota would have been out, and we would have had the tiebreaker over Purdue. Um, so yeah, if, if Iowa lost, we would have automatically gotten in gotcha. to the uh, Saturday's game would have been meaningless. But gotcha. as as that being said, 
we should have won the game on Saturday and it wouldn't have mattered. And we did not. We got our ass kicked by Minnesota. Like they completely outcoached us. And that's all I'm going to talk about for that game. All right. You know what? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that was more than I thought you were going to talk about that game. Uh, so, all right. Looking at conference championship week here on Friday, Western Kentucky and UTSA for the Conference USA Championship, Oregon and Utah on ABC for the Pac-12 Championship in the new Allegiant Stadium, Baylor, Oklahoma State for the Big 12 Championship, Kent State, Northern Illinois for the MAC, Utah State, San Diego State for the Mountain West, App State, and Louisiana for Sunbelt, Georgia and Bama for the SEC Championship, Cincy and Houston for the AAC, Michigan and Iowa for the Big Ten Championship, Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, and then uh, the game of the week really is USC and Cal somehow <laughs> somehow playing on on championship weekend on uh, six p.m. on F- on uh, nine p.m. Mountain Time on FS1 for those who want to watch. Was, was that the makeup game because Cal had all the COVID issues? Oh, was it? Was okay, you know what? Maybe it was because I was like, what the heck. Why are they? I thought it was like a Hawaii thing, you know, where like you get like an extra game or you get like a weird thing if you play Hawaii. Yeah. But you know what? I think you're right. I think it is because of uh, Cal had COVID. I thought they were just going to give them a loss, but maybe not. Interesting. No, they they rescheduled because Cal at the time, uh, I think they were bowl eligible, but they lost last week to UCLA. So that, but no, I just I just saw, I just saw this ten o'clock game. I'm like, who the hell is playing after like the Big Ten and ACC title games and. Yeah, USC Cal. Tickets going for twenty three dollars there at, uh, at California Memorial. Stadium. So, Lucas, let's take out the SEC title game, Georgia Alabama. What game are you most looking forward to next weekend? Uh, I'm actually looking forward to the ACC title game. It has no playoff implications, but we got Kenny Heisman making one last big Heisman run against the high flying uh, offense and our favorite coach, Dave Clawson. I haven't even seen the lines for this week. I got to imagine that. Do you want to? I have them here. What would you guess the over-under is? Uh, 78 and a half. 72 and a half. Wow. Seems low, doesn't it? That seems very low. Doesn't it seem low? Yeah. Uh, Pitt is a two and a half point favorite as well. Because these two teams, I'm betting the over just about every game that they've played this year. Neither team has great defenses, but... Now, this should be a fun game. Like you mentioned at the beginning of the pod, Ryan, it's just awesome to see other teams in the ACC for once. It's not just, you know, Clemson and Florida State or Virginia Tech. Like, I believe this is only the second time Pitt has been in the ACC title game. It's the first time that Wake Forest has been in an ACC title game, I think, since Jim Grobe. Uh, back yeah, so Wake won it in 06, but I don't know if they yeah. had a title game back then. I don't, I don't know. They might they not have. Uh, that was a long, long time ago, but... No, I think this will just be a really, really fun game. Uh, it'll be the complete opposite in Iowa-Michigan, which will be on at the same time. Um, that one might be a, a slugfest. Where it might over be like- under there is at forty three and a half. <laughs> yeah, so I would, I would honestly take the over there. I I think Michigan can score, and I think Iowa can yes. score too. So um, I think the two games for me that stand out, I think, are Baylor and Oklahoma State and Michigan Iowa, just because of the playoff Im- implications. Mm-hmm. I mean. Oklahoma State needs help for sure, but if they get one of Cincinnati or Alabama losing, I think they're in. Michigan is in with the win, but I think if they lose, depending on what happens, a 
elsewhere. I don't think they get in. Um, and I could certainly see Iowa winning that game. I know that Michigan's got a bunch of hype, and, and I, don't, I wonder if the emotional high of beating Ohio State, if if it's a, a little bit to come back from that, right, to get up for yeah. another big game against a team that you have less history with and less, less beef. So um, the line for that game is Michigan is a 10.5-point favorite in that game. I may be taking Iowa just to cover, but – I'm interested in that. And then listen, Oklahoma State, I would I, I like the way Mike Gundy runs his program. I like coaches that stay in one place for a while. He's been there like what, 17 years or something yeah. like his chance to win. I don't know if they've ever won the Big Twelve. If he's ever won a Big Twelve, he's I don't won it. I think he's won it once, but it was like a share of like the Big Twelve okay. or something. I know they had some good teams like with um the Brandon Whedon, Justin yeah. Blackman kind of group, but First time in a while, he's got a chance. And then, you know, what Dave Aranda's done as well at Baylor in his second year, having them in the Big 12 championship game, um, I think it's pretty cool to see. Uh, and then, listen, Houston and Cincy. Like, Cincy has another chance to make a big-time statement. Um, this this would be their, their second biggest win of the season. It would give them a real signature win the back half of the year after the Notre Dame win. Houston's a good team. They're 11-1. They're ranked 21 in the country. Um so I think those games, like I just like that we have some different matchups and a lot of matchups that have playoff implications. Oh, agreed. And just kind of going up. <coughs> excuse me. Um, but no, and like we said, I, I can't remember the last time we had this many championship games where there was playoff implications at hand. I mean, every time slot that we have, there's going to be something to watch. And I think for Cincinnati, you know, this, like you mentioned, another statement game, Houston, I feel like it's just kind of gone very under the radar. Uh, Dan and Holgerson's done a great job with that program, really kind of rebuilding it year by year. Um, and this is also a chance for him to kind of make a statement with both of these teams. This could be the big 12 title game in three years. Um, so I think both of these coaches uh, clearly want to make um, a statement. I was just going to ask in Oregon, Utah on Friday night, is that result going to be any different than what it was just a couple weeks ago? The The running joke in the Pac-12 was that Utah would knock Oregon out of the playoff in the regular season, and then Oregon would beat them in the in the game, <laughs> in the championship game, and go to the Rose Bowl. I don't know. I mean, my, my guess would be Oregon doesn't get blown out like they did. I saw that Mario Cristobal said couple key defenders, including Noah Sewell, will be back for that game. I would love to see Utah win the Pac-12 for the first time under Kyle Whittenham. I'd love to see them in the Rose Bowl. I think you've got a potential Rose Bowl of, like, the loser of the winner of this game against either Iowa or Michigan State, which could be really fun. Um, but, no, I think I would expect Utah to win. Um, but Oregon, I think, certainly is capable of it. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I wanted to touch on here was Georgia and Alabama and talking about a larger discussion. It's my personal belief that if Alabama plays a close game against Georgia, I, I swear. Yeah. Um, they will get in. Like if, if, if they lose like a 17, 10, 20 to 17, like they lose on a field goal or they keep it close. I think Alabama gets in and they're the first team with two losses to get into the college football playoff or first non-champion, non-conference non, non mm -hmm. champion. Um, now, if Oklahoma State looks really good and blows out Baylor and B Bama gets blown out against Georgia, I think OK State moves up. Uh, 
But if you notice, like you looked at some of these rankings, like Ole Miss is eighth. Texas A&M is now 25. Like the committee's doing this thing where they set the rankings to yep. fit the narrative that they want. And they can sell that Alabama has two losses to ranked teams, including to the number one team in the country, and wins over, you know, a ranked Arkansas team, a ranked Ole Miss team, a ranked Mississippi State team. Or I, I don't know if they may have fallen out, but like you get my point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to see Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. I think that'd be really fun. But it would not surprise me if Alabama just stays put if they lose close and we have a Cincinnati, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan final four. So what are your kind of thoughts on that? No, I I agree with you because we talked about this from the onset of the first college football rankings that I felt that was the goal of the committee by ranking Alabama at number two right off the bat was so that they could not fall enough so that they could they would have the excuse, well, they were one of the best teams in the country the whole year. They happened to play the best team, and it went toe-to-toe. So we feel like those teams, when you're looking at the four best teams, these are uh, they are definitely one of the four. And it just, it just drives me up the freaking wall because we always ask that time, like, why even play these games? If you want – I always hear the, the biggest argument against expanding the playoff is people are like, well, the regular season is like a playoff. Okay, well, then that means teams should be eliminated if they lose games in what should be a playoff-like scenario. I just I just think it's going to be hard for the committee to swallow if both uh, Cincinnati wins and Oklahoma State wins and Michigan wins. I just don't think you can – I'm not saying they won't do it. I think they are uh, getting their position to do it if they lose closely. But do you really want to set a precedent where you're leaving out a one-loss – power five champ an undefeated potentially group of five champ uh, because you want to keep a two loss Alabama, a team that has not looked dominant at all this year. No. I saw a good comp that I think it was Bud Elliott said, this reminds him of that 2014 Florida state team. That was the defending national champs. They went undefeated throughout the regular season, but every game was like one possession. They were not a dominant team. And then they got their butt kicked by Oregon in the first playoff game. And that's kind of how I feel this Alabama team is. If they weren't Alabama, if you put them in Oklahoma state, you switch schedules. I think uh, they would be ranked. Probably they would probably be in the lower top 10, um, especially after this week's performance. So I do agree with you. I think they are aping up. That's why I'm hoping that Georgia just blows the doors. off. Yeah. I mean, there were some interesting takes here. Like uh, Todd McShay after the game said he would still put Ohio state in over Cincinnati because Ohio State's better. Ryan Rostillo. How do we know this? This is what Ryan does. Ryan Rostillo tweeted that Iowa would finish last in the SEC West. Yeah. Behind Auburn and LSU. Like, it's just ri- ridiculous, ridiculous. Like, if you think Iowa would finish behind Auburn and LSU, now maybe if those teams are at full strength and they play week one yeah. on, a, on a neutral, fine. If you want to pick LSU, fine. But come on, man. Like LSU beat ULL Louisiana or ULM by 13 points. Like let's not act like the SEC, the bottom of the SEC is great. You can say, Oh my God, they got 13 of the 14 teams, but like, all right, South Carolina six and six, Florida six and six, LSU six and six, um, Auburn six and six. Like yeah, this right. supposed to be, this supposed to be A&M's breakthrough year. They finished eight and four and they were two and four in the, in against the SEC West. Like <laughs> let's like relax people. It, 
it just drives me nuts because like Iowa quietly just won ten games this year, and I feel if you're not like people take that for so grand, like they're like, oh, it's Iowa. They play in like the Big Ten West, and it's like we need ten games. I don't care what conference, what division you play in. Winning 10 games is freaking hard. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. And that, yeah, that I saw that response. It drove me up the wall. Cause I like Ryan Russell a lot, but he even flatly says on his podcast, the only college football he really watches are the top flight teams. So that's all he's judging off of. And I mean, Iowa could, it wouldn't shock me if Iowa beat Michigan. I think Michigan wins, but I was very much capable of it. But like you said, like the Todd McShay thing, it's like, what are we doing? Uh, Ohio State played the two best teams they played all year. They got beat, and they got ran all over on them. So why why are they deserving? What have, have they done that proves they're one of the top four besides that? You know, make sure you have probably five of their guys going in the first round. That's about it. The interesting thing about Georgia when you look at – when you break down their schedule, um, there's a lot of not great offenses on that schedule, right? No. Clemson, disappointing. Um, you look down the line, like Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Like, I think Alabama has a chance because Alabama actually has played a tougher schedule than Georgia has. Like Georgia, the SEC East, I think Kentucky finished in second. Like, it just was not great. Like, I think Missouri disappointed a little bit relative to some of the hype they had in the in the preseason. South Carolina did well, but they're still a six and six average. Like. I don't know. It feels to me like we could be in for a close game. And I do think if Alabama wins, I, listen, Georgia's in regardless. Yes, um, yes. Michigan, like ultimate chaos, you're thinking about Iowa, Baylor, and Georgia all win and win by good amounts. And then we have a potentially a coachless Cincinnati team against a coachless against Luke fickle and Notre Dame or a coachless zombie Notre Dame team led by interim coach Marcus Freeman and no offensive coordinator. Cause he's at LSU playing, playing in the, in the playoff, which would be interesting. Notre Dame making the playoff would be absolutely hilarious. And you think it's Marcus Freeman. I, 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 I sent a text to you earlier today. I think it's, Lou Holtz, they're going to bring him out of uh, out of retirement because oh, their, their AD said whoever would be the interim will will have no chance at being our permanent head coach. Like we're not creating an interim because they will not be our head coach. Well, but it's kind of like how it's kind of like how Bob Stoops is like coaching Oklahoma in the bowl game <laughs> and like in like recruiting for Oklahoma. Like you just like, all right, guys, I'll just put the lights on in my old office. Like I know where everything is. Don't worry about it. Who are we going to talk to today? <laughs> well, it was it was so funny because their AD said after Lincoln Riley left, he had a separate meeting to introduce Bob Stoops to the team. And it's like Bob Stoops was just – he probably recruited some of these guys to play at OU. It's just funny that uh, he's back. It's very reminiscent of when Barry Alvarez coached those bowl games for the Badgers when uh, – even though he was their AD, but stepping down to uh, to coach one game – for them, which was, uh, and who knows, maybe Bob Stoops gets the itch, wants to come back for another four or five years, get them to the SEC. I doubt it, but uh, that would be so funny. <laughs> um, real quick before we go, so a couple weeks ago, you know how we made those those predictions for where the coaches were going to land. I don't think we got one right. We we both went one for five. We both got Sonny Dykes, which was like yes, the, the most the, obvious. Barely one. counts because it was like already like reported he was going to go to TCU. He was like he was like recruiting for TCU during the season. 
Um, for USC, I said Dave Aranda. You said James Franklin. It was Lincoln Riley. For LSU, I said Mel Tucker. You said Mike Gundy. It was Brian Kelly. For Virginia Tech, I said Billy Napier. You said Dave Clawson. Actual was Brett Pry. For Washington, I said Jonathan Smith. You said Jane Orvell. Actual Kalen DeBoer. So it's was a wild and crazy coaching carousel. We'll probably have more to talk about next week. I would expect to see Notre Dame and Oklahoma filled by the time we record by next week, but we'll see what happens, man. Any final thoughts before we sign off for the night? Uh, no, I just can't believe the regular season of college football is done. Like, happened so fast. Like, it, it didn't even really hit me like this weekend. I was like, oh, shoot. Uh, maybe it was because in my head, I completely thought I was going to be seeing Wisconsin playing this weekend. Um, Sunday morning, I woke up and thought it was just, I literally did not know that game had actually happened. Um, so it was just coming to a bad realization twice, but, uh, but no, it moved so fast. I'm really excited for championship weekend. Uh, I'm just excited just to finally know what our playoff matchups are going to be what the bowl matchups. Cause we, you know, for us, you know, with ASU and Wisconsin, we don't know what our teams are playing until after this weekend. Um, and Do you have a preference for Wisconsin, by the way, real quick. Um, any like, any like rumors for where they're going to go? Cause ASU is rumored either the the new Vegas Bowl in the Raiders Stadium or the Holiday Bowl, which would be great. I've seen um, for Wisconsin still, the, I saw one that was awesome, would be the Outback Bowl versus Tennessee, which would be... Uh, That'd be cool. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. But I think I saw, um, I don't know, it's the Gator Bowl or the Capital One Bowl against Kentucky. Um, it really got bumped down after that loss to Minnesota because I think we fell two spots in the Big Ten pecking order for bowls. So um, I'm assuming we'll play in Florida probably against an SEC team like we do almost just about every year. So <laughs> Lather, rinse, repeat for Wisconsin Badgers, baby. It feels so yeah. bad for you going to Florida to play good teams in your bowl games. Good boot teams. We had some, well, it just uh, The Big Ten just gets so screwed with bullpen because they're all in the south or like out west. None of them are we playing. Everybody wants to go to warmer weather. Nobody wants to go play in the Detroit Little Caesars Bowl, unfortunately. Oh, the the quick lane, like, bowl or whatever. Well, pretty soon they're going to have a bowl game at Wrigley Field. Being in Chicago in end of December is where everybody wants to be. So, but uh, but no, excited for that. Um, But excited for these games. What about yourself? Yeah, uh, last kind of big weekend of college football. Um, it's going to be a really good championship Saturday. A um, couple really good games on Friday as well. I'll be interested to see what happens in the Pac-12. Um, I would love to see Utah get the nod, fresh face for the conference. And then Saturday, we got a great, great day. I think it's just it's going to be fun, man. Pitt Wake's going to be fun. Uh, Georgia Bama, it's going to be awesome. And like, there's just each window's got fun games, right? I mean, Baylor, Oklahoma State's at noon. Then in the afternoon, you got Georgia, Bama, and Houston, Cincinnati. And then the evening games are uh, Michigan, Iowa, and Pitt, Wake Forest. And then a couple heavyweights do battle in uh, in 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 Berkeley there, Callen and USC. To <laughs> are, on, so. are any of those teams? Are they any of them still bowl eligible? I, uh, I know us i don't think usc is let me see so cal is cal's four and seven and usc is uh four and seven <laughs> why are they even playing i would just, just i thought when you i thought game. when you had covid outbreak and you couldn't play that that was automatically a forfeit so if you, maybe it yeah i don't know um but i guess it just decided to play because that was the only game this year i was 
relatively surprised. The only one that was for or uh, postponed due to COVID issues. Yep. But I guess this was the one open weekend, and they I guess they both want to play. Um, USC. I don't know what their motivation, especially with this past week. Like you have a new head, you know who your head coach is. Everything I figured you would just want to move on. But hey, at least it gives you some Pac-12 after dark uh, on uh, on championship weekend. One, one final ride, baby. Pac-12 after dark. Uh, but one final question I do have: how how more awesome is the Pac-12 championship game now that it's in Vegas versus freaking Santa Clara? <laughs> I'm on. I'm on the belief that everything should be in Vegas. Like yes. I love when they move the Pac-12 basketball tournament there. I think both men's and women should be there. Like it is such a great place to just bring people for a fun, cool weekend. Mm-hmm. It actually kind of sucks that it's on Friday night. I know the Big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of alternate which games on Friday, which games on Saturday, but kind of sucks that it's on Friday. But I think it's great. I think you'll get a lot of people from Utah. I think you'll get a lot of. I mean, Oregon always always travels well. It's a really really big brand in college football, but, um, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, there were some, like, you would see some of these, some of these pictures of, of the Pac-12 title game, just empty 20,000 people, you know, 35,000 people in a 70,000 seat stadium, just, just bad. But listen, in, in reality, it's expensive to be a college football fan, right? I mean, think if, think if you're a Georgia fan, right, you're, you're going potentially to the, uh, SEC title game this week. Then you got the college football semifinal. Then you got the potential of the playoff, like the championship game. It's expensive, man. So I, uh, I get some of the sparse crowds, especially with not a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot on the table there. So, well, all right, oh, go, go ahead, Lucas. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, the SEC title game right now. Uh, the cheapest ticket is three forty one, and the cheapest ticket in the Big Ten title game is three hundred two, uh, right now. Jeebus ticket in the Mac title game. If we're going to play this game, seven dollars. <laughs> Drive on up to Detroit. You and Hannah have a nice little weekend in, in Detroit in December, and uh, watch the Big Ten title game for about twenty five dollars. So what pisses me off is the Mac used to be on Friday night, and for some reason they moved it to Saturday. Like the Mac should be one. No, you mentioned it. It should be on like it should have been like tonight. Like <laughs> yeah. the Mac, yeah. it should have been on a Tuesday or Wednesday. One hundred percent. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's funny. All right. Well, we'll end it on that note. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's gonna do it for us. For Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Baffle. Lucas. We'll be back next week. We'll know who our college football playoff teams are. We'll know most of the bowls. Um, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Patty will be back next week. So um, we'll uh, talk to you all then. Have, have a good night, everyone. <laughs>